0: our series on the book of Esther. I am Pastor Nathan and I am privileged to deliver the Word of God to you today. Last week, Pastor Jared discussed to us Esther chapter 3 from our our series, Invisible God and Invisible Hands. Pastor Jared revealed through Esther 3 that God is not a little stream that can be maneuvered, redirected, manipulated. Rather, Esther 3 reminds us that our God is more like a roaring tsunami. A tsunami that cannot be controlled, a power that can only be worshipped. And so the people who see God as a God that can be controlled, manipulated like a little stream, create their own plans, direct their own lives, And after they have plotted all their plans, they ask this little stream to water and make it bear fruit. However, if we see God, if, if we see God as a God that cannot be controlled like a roaring tsunami, that cannot be redirected to water what we want to water, it changes what plans we make, it changes the kind of people we are, it changes the kind of pursuits we pursue In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe of C.S. Lewis there's this special part that I love Let's read this Is is he a man asked Lucy Aslan a man said Mr. Beaver sternly Certainly not I tell you he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then is it he safe? Said Lucy. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's a king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. You see, church, it begs of us to ask, do we feel like God is a God who is simply safe? A king who can be subdued, a king who can be controlled for our kingdom? Or is he king of the moon, of the stars, of the universe, of the skies, of all creation. Because if He is, if He is the king of the stars, the moon, the skies, the universe, and of all creation, then that should inevitably change how we relate to Him. Can we use Him? Or must we be used? God is a lion. And to truly enjoy being in the lion's kingdom, we must live, breathe, and move according to His terms. He can only be adored, worshipped, and yielded to. So in Esther 4, the question we get to explore today is this. How must we relate to this powerful and unstoppable king? We will discover the answer to this through Esther 4, a crisis conversation. You see, Esther 4 is basically the author of Esther transporting us into the conversation between Esther and Mordecai. Para sila text, dito sa Esther chapter 4, if you read it, they're sending messages to each other because Haman was about to annihilate all the Jews. And what takes place is an exchange, an interchange of messages between the queen and her father figure, her mentor, role model Mordecai. So let's frame our discussion in this way. We'll review the chaos that was going on from the, from the aftermath of chapter 3. Then we will see the challenge that was presented to Esther and what commitment she makes. Let's dive into our text for today. Let's start with Esther 3, the end of chapter 3, says this. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of this document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. This slide right here is almost like a public service announcement. Imagine you get a memo, or a circular, or a PTC galing sa school mo. Okay, May 29, 2023, Jews, all the Jews, attention all Jews, you will be killed May 29, 2023. Killed, destroyed, annihilated. Who? Who does it concern? Everybody. All the Jews. Your grandmother. Your newborn baby. Your mother, your father, your brother, your cousins. May 29. Isang araw, sabay kayong lahat, nakaschedule na guys, ha? Ano sabi niya? Be ready for that day, ha? It was a ruthless letter. It was a cruel letter. You would have received it with shaking hands. What? You look around the room, every one of us will be killed on May 29, 2023. And then suddenly, the author of Esther brings us back into the throne room. After we follow the couriers delivering to the cities, to the, to the provinces, we go back to the throne room and then we see Haman, King Xerxes, let's toast to this, inuman. And then they sat down and they started drinking. What kind of a picture was this? Haman and the king started drinking. After all the Jews were shaking, they're frantic, they're calling each other, they're rushing to their parents' house, Papa, did you see? The whole city was frantic in utter confusion. This is the chaos that was happening. with fasting, with weeping, with lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. There was a picture that was being painted by the author. Inside the castles, no mourning, no weeping, no lamenting was allowed, only ha ha ha. And the king was drinking in his throne room, outside the palace walls, wailing weeping, sounds you could almost hear outside the palace walls, constant crying throughout the day. The sounds that we hear in memorial services, yung last viewing, yung mal groans that you've never heard of, almost animalistic, like the soul was crying, not the man. It was, it was your heart crying, not you. Those are the kind of cries that were going on in Susa. The Jews were weeping as a nation, as a people. And the king was drinking with Haman. Cheers. It's irony. It's the chaos that we're entering into in chapter 4. And so, as I try to imagine this chapter, there's probably gallows already being set up. Habang nagi inuman si Haman and the king, his engineers, his staff were setting up gallows for the one day execution. So you're walking around the city you're crying you're running to your parents house but you see people setting up gallows thousands and thousands of gallows probably is this a joke armageddon what's what's going on so imagine you were a jew back then what thoughts would you be having When we go into a memorial service, we're so sad for that one person because that one family lost a family member. But imagine this time, all of us are about to lose each other. What kind of heaviness, what kind of weight was the tone that was being set here in chapter 4? It was not a sunny day, it was probably raining, it was cold. But it was not actually raining, it was just cold in your soul. There's this eeriness to death, and you can't do anything about it. It was family, community, and nationwide chaos. And so when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. But you see, what was told to Esther was not the decree. What was told to Esther was that your uncle, Mordecai, uncle He's out crying, he's wearing sackcloth and ashes, and he keeps crying all day. That's what they told the queen. And what happened next? Because she was in the palace, she didn't know. So what did she do? She sent garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Irony once again. Inside the palace, the queen was kind of unaware. She's wearing, he's wearing things that doesn't allow him to come into the palace. So let me give him some, something else to wear so that he can come in. There was this disconnect from the queen to the actual cries of the nation. Because she was in the throne room. Because she was in the palace. She was in a good place. She was probably being, her hair was being combed as the news was brought to her. She was sitting pretty, literally. If you were Mordecai and then you were sent clothes on that day, you would probably say, "Ano The last thing I care about is what I'm wearing right now. And for us as audience, you might be saying, "Ano yan, Esther? But you see, it's kind of weird also because somehow we do this often too. Let's read on first. Then Esther called for Hatak. The one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. You see, we think Esther's response was ignorant, it was funny, it was, but actually let me challenge that to you today. Recently in our roundtable talks, we have talks around the church to discuss what groans, what cries were going on, what chaos are happening around our family members. And in the recent roundtable talk, we discovered that many of the youth feel their cries and their chaos as to their parents and to their families. They feel that they're being handed garments to change out of their sackcloth. What do I mean? Parents immediately jump to suggestions, advice giving, and saying, "Ah, ganito kasian." "Yang computer mo kasian ni." Eh. And so parents fail to truly listen to the cries of the people outside their palaces, outside their throne rooms, because they're parents, they're queens, they're kings. They know. They've been there. But you see, Mordecai was with the cries. Mordecai was with the people. He knew what was going on. He knew what it was and why it was. But sometimes we act like Esther. We jump to conclusions. Ah, Let's just give him some clothes. It's almost like our babies when they cry. What do we do? Instead of understanding why is the baby crying, we give him a pacifier. chupun, chupon. chupon. That's what Esther was doing. Oh, oh, stop, stop, stop crying change your clothes. Pacifying. So sometimes church, our solutions to the cries of our people become pacifiers rather than healing bombs. They stop them from crying but it still hurts. You change your clothes but you're about to die. You're wearing silk from the queen but you're still dying inside. How have we done this? Many of us are business owners also. And you hear of underperforming employees in your business. You hear of lazy employees, maybe. Sackcloth and ashes. And what do you do? Uh, bring him to the HR. Oh, Let's give him more money. Maybe we just need. That's sending clothes to your Mordecai's. Are we willing to truly learn, truly understand, what it was and why it was with our people? Do we go down to the depths outside our palace, outside our platforms of being boss, kings, and queens of our kingdom, to really learn the cries of our people? Or do we jump to simple solutions? Ah, I have to share the gospel, because tamad tamad niya. Really, church? How many of your employees are in sackcloth and ashes? How many clothes have you sent out? And you wonder why they would not accept them. How must we relate to this powerful and unstoppable king? We cannot ignore the cries. We have to be attentive and not simple in the way we live. When I was in grade one, I pooped my pants in school. I couldn't I couldn't hold it in. So I pooped my pants. My brief was full of poop and it was in my pants. And so when I came out of the CR I saw some high school students and then I heard them whispering, Yeah, tai tai. de ba? Na tai tai. But as grade one student, you feel bad. It's like I didn't want to poop myself. So I felt like I was walking in the valley of the shadow of death. It's like, I know you can see my poop, but where do I go? I have to go to my classroom to get some kind of help. But I remember this one teacher, my homeroom teacher. She pulled me aside. She took me by the shoulders, looked me face to face. Her eyes were on my eyes. Nathan, ano going on? Nathan, what happened to you? What happened to you? Is this poop? What happened? Let me call your mom. I'll never forget that teacher. I was in grade one. No high school student asked me what happened. Only one person who cared to ask me, What is this? Why is this? You see, this kind of posture, this kind of attentiveness, this kind of not simple solution, this not, this major hassle solution to helping others is, is a lot more work. It means you have to stop being a teacher and start being a mother for a while. It, have, it means you have to stop being a boss and be a father for a while. And this is the way we relate to this king because our king is not a king who just rampages through life. He's a tsunami that asks us to be in service of Him, and if His heart is of service to His people, then that we must be. Can we be that person, that homeroom teacher for your employees, for your families, for your children? You see, God has given us positions and platforms as invitations for us to be attentive to chaos and cries in that place at that time. Each chaos and cry we pay attention to poses a challenge to us to be involved. Will we commit to involving ourselves in participating in God's kingdom come in this place at this time? One sackcloth and ashes, one crying kid at a time, one struggling employee at a time. Will you be in service to this kind of king? Or will you be busy building your own king? being your own kingdom. We proceed to the challenge. Chaos is ongoing. Esther has received the actual news. Let's read. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction and that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Tell the queen, we're in desperate times, go to the king, beg for us, help us. Send message to Esther. Let's see what Esther replies. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Send message to Mordecai. Esther was saying, everybody knows Alam Muyan, you also know that if anyone just enters the throne room without the invitation, it's straight death. So, what you're asking for me is suicide. Send message. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape more than any. More than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this." This is the bulk of the exchange. This is the crisis conversation of Esther chapter 4. Let me summarize what just happened. It's almost like a text. I couldn't lay it out na parang iPhone, no. Pero eh. Mordecai, do something about this. You might be the one person that can. Text to Esther. Esther replies, but what about me? What about my life, my dreams, my future? You know what you're asking for might cost me everything. Mordecai replies, do not think that you will save yourself simply by accepting yourself from this chaos. Who knows? Could it be that everything that has happened to you was a setup so you can play this role for this exact moment? There are many times in our lives, church, that we find ourselves in the position of Esther. There are challenges, there are chaoses, there are cries that we hear of and we sense in our church, in our community, in our workplace, in our families. But also, many times, like Esther, what goes on in our minds is what she texted Mordecai. What about me? Ah, silly. Tiba mapapahi ako would it it cost me everything? Might I be rejected? Might I fail? Might I die? And so we've gotten to a certain comfort zone inside of our palaces. The way we've always lived. And it's become less risky. We already know what risks every day is. But suddenly there are new cries that come to your ears. There are new groans that you hear of. What will you do? <coughs> do you find yourselves in a similar position today as Esther? Or are you a Mordecai? Maybe you're hesitating. Even though you're part of that people who are crying, you know and what it was and why it was. And yet maybe you're also thinking, oh, it might cost you your friend, it might cost you your daughter, it might cost you. Maybe she'll get mad at me. Maybe we'll not be friends anymore. Or maybe you recognize that there's a bigger crisis than what it would cost both of you. There's a bigger cause. We're here for more than ourselves. Maybe the cause of the king, the unstoppable and powerful, is worthy enough. So maybe the challenge for Mordecai was to identify one person who could. Maybe it's not him. Maybe you're in that position, that it's not you who God has placed in a specific time, in a specific position, that could do a specific request. Maybe it's your role to challenge that specific person. Is God's story today challenging you to be someone's Mordecai? How must we relate to this powerful and unstoppable king? We must be willing to be involved and not exempted. Last year, if you guys remember, it was the elections. The political climate was a mess. And one thing I remember from that time is that the social media was so noisy. And one of the saddest posts that I kept seeing, was Christians, they profess to be Christians, saying, why is the church so silent? Why is the church so silent? Why is the church not speaking up? Why is the church not fighting for our rights? They jumped to blaming, shaming, calling out the church. But if we truly think about it, what is the church? But the people of God? The church is not this building, whoever works here, or the pastors, that's not the church. The church is every single one of God's people. That is the church. The collective noun for God's people is church. So when Christians say, why is the church so silent? He's actually saying, why am I so silent? Why are we so silent? But actually, they don't know that. They're exempting themselves from being part of the people who should be part of the solution. They're asking pastors, they're asking missionaries, they're asking bishops and reverends to speak. Speak, say something. But your friend is the one telling you that they're having a hard time with this political crisis. You tell, they tell you that they're crying and then you just say, oh nga, oh, nga, wala ginagawa? Ikaw, ikaw, ikaw yung You're that exact person. You're the church to that friend. What have you done? What have you done to alleviate their cries and their chaos? Why is it so easy for you to blame? But you don't take responsibility to be involved. The saddest thing is that Christians do that. We exempt ourselves from being part of the king's mission. If this king is a king on a mission, a tsunami that cannot be stopped, that will accomplish his good purposes for us, then it, it ought to be something we'd want to be, to be involved. I want to be part of this king, I want to be part of this mission, this awesome king. How have we exempted ourselves, Church, from participating in the mission of the powerful and unstoppable King? How have we ignored the specific platforms and positions He's set us up on to participate? God has given us positions and platforms as invitations for us to be attentive to chaos and cries in that place at that time. Each chaos and cry we pay attention to poses a challenge to us to be involved. Will we commit to involving ourselves in participating in God's Kingdom come in this place at this time? Last, commitment. Mordecai drops the bomb, remember? Esther, it might be you. Maybe this is your time, Esther. The ball, so to speak, was in Esther's courts now. Let's read her resolve. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther ordered him." Before we discuss this verse, we have to remember who this Esther was. What the author of Esther has shown us so far about Esther can be plotted out this way. Remember Esther was an orphan. She was a nobody. She was just picked up by Mordecai, but she happened to be very, very beautiful. She had a beautiful face, beautiful figure, she was pleasing to to the eyes. So, she was taken into custody, not because of anything else, but because she was beautiful. So she was taken into custody for a beauty pageant. And then, because of her beauty, she won public favor because of her appearance. And because of her appearance, the king loved her and chose her to be queen because of her appearance. How do you think Esther viewed herself from chapter 1? until chapter 4 all those years i am a beautiful person and beauty is my contribution to the kingdom i bring beauty everyone who sees me he feels happy they feel ah oh, anganda so you define yourself as that that is my contribution that is who i am that is my value to the kingdom I am only called up because I was beautiful. I was taken into the king's palace because I was beautiful. I am the queen because I am beautiful. There's nothing more to me than beauty. So I hold my beauty very securely. But at this point, you see, the divine setup of God was inviting her to become more than beauty. More than everything she knew about herself, everything she thought about herself, God was inviting her, placing her in a specific position to become something more than beauty. Using Mordecai, Esther, might it be that you have come to the kingdom because of beauty, but now God is calling you to be for the kingdom, something more. Esther is being invited to renew who she thought she was, what her value was in the king, to the kingdom, and to the mission. So as Christians, we can probably say that, Esther, that God was telling Esther, you can be so much more if you so choose to come and join my mission. In surrendering yourself for my mission, you can live a life more purposeful than you ever imagined. You thought your purpose was to bring pleasure to the eyes and pleasure to the king. But if you participate now, if you involve yourself now in my mission, you will be more than you could be. It's not what my mission lacks. All of us exist. Yeah, we live, we, we have our jobs now because probably mm, my dad was a boss, so now I get the family business. Oh, I'm in this career now because I took this course. I have this wife now because uh, she was my girlfriend since then. Everything just happened because of the natural flow of things. So there's not actually much purpose. There's just a lot of circumstance. But you see, the God that we serve, this powerful and unstoppable king, keeps on inviting us, keeps on opening doors for us to find meaning in his mission. You see, he's saying through Esther chapter 4 that every setup, the whole plot line of Esther's story was an invitation for her to be at this specific place at this specific time with this specific position with this platform that nobody else has. It means all of us in this room have a plot line of our lives. Oh, I was born in Manila, I was born 1990 whatever. I was born to these parents, They they were separated. All of that detail sets you up to be in a certain position at a certain time for a certain people, sensitive to a certain cry, and He's inviting you now. Will you be more than what you thought your circumstances have led you to be? This unstoppable God does not stop to invite us, come my son. Come and be part of something bigger than you ever thought. Come and be something more than you ever defined yourself to be. Because you were never meant just to be beautiful. If you surrender your cause and your life to me, your life will mean infinitely more. So purpose is not something we just stumble upon. It's something we are invited into because the purpose of this whole creation is aligned to this unstoppable and powerful king. So you want to find your life purpose? Give it to God's mission. Lord, where have you placed me? What platforms have you given me? What are you asking me to do in this specific platform, at this specific position, at this time, with the cries that only I act upon? And here, have to be cries from outside and reporting it to the people who can do something about it. You could be that but refuse to be exempted from this grand mission because you yourself will be lost without a purpose. You will die as a queen who was only beautiful. You're a boss who was only rich. You inherited the family business. You're a very career-oriented and successful person because your genes were just academically brilliant. But could it be that God is inviting you to become something more, based on everything that He's given you and set you up with so far. Esther somewhat moves in this circular pattern. You see, Esther was called to a specific position, to a specific platform, prefer a certain job with certain roles, because of her beauty. And so, as she got used to this routine of her beauty, and her queenship, there are certain things that she was used to doing, certain routines that she was used to having, certain responsibilities that were comfortable, and the risks were mitigated because it was routine. So she enters into a comfort zone after her calling. Oh, this is what I do. I do not go into the king when I'm not called, so I just comb my hair probably and uh, beautify myself. But now we're in the third circle. Third circles are not easy. Because as you can see, you're moving out of your comfort zone to a new commitment. Something you haven't committed to doing. Something you're not committed, you, you, weren't, you weren't entered because of that. you entered because of beauty, but now you're called to commit to a higher responsibility than just being beautiful. It means you have to leave your routines, your risks, the risks that you do not have to take. God is now inviting you, maybe you have to step out now. You have platforms, you have positions, you have routines, you have stability. Maybe it's time for you to give someone else some of the blessings you've received. And you see, Esther was struggling through this process. Excuse me. Esther 4 does not discount that Christians will struggle to give up our comfort zones. He says, everybody knows in the kingdom, if the king doesn't ask for me, it will be my death. The Bible does not discount that for us as church members. Yes, struggle with the Lord. Lord, those are valid. Bring them to God in prayer. Wrestle with God. But do not just end there. Do not just end with wrestling, reasoning, and lamenting the losses, commit to a decision. Choose this day whom you will serve. Just like Esther, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold the fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." Esther had a new resolve she committed to a new role, to a new Esther, to a new version of herself It became more than she ever thought she could. But this was not without wrestling. She asked all of the Jews who were crying, lamenting, to pray for her. You could almost imagine how heavy the situation was for her. But it also tells us that God honors these kinds of commitments. And you'll see that in Esther chapter 5. These kinds of resolves, these Christians who commit their lives, if I perish, I perish, kinds of obedience. If my reputation suffers it suffers but let me try it suffers let me not cheat well known pastor charles stanley passed away last month but he is famous for this quote obey god and leave all the consequences to him we acknowledge the consequences yes it will cost you money it will cost you time it will cost you effort but are we willing to obey God despite and leave all the consequences to Him? Who among you here is pushed today? I pray the Lord's Spirit be with you. How must we relate to this powerful and unstoppable? Willing to give yourself. I gave. spokesperson as well, give again. Obey again. The Lord is not done with you yet. His mission in your life is still ongoing. He's asking you to be part of his mission, and in it you will find life. Jim Elliott, who was killed for this lifestyle, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose he sought to reach a people who were flesh-eating people. And to cut the long story short, he was eaten. But he gained something he could not lose. Eventually, the whole tribe that killed him became Christian. His son went back there and are now friends with the tribe captains and the tribe chiefs. Could he have seen that when he was about to make that commitment? Probably not. But he obeyed God and left the consequences to him to gain what he cannot lose, to give what he could not keep, his own life. Church obey God and leave all the consequences to him. I know this is hard, it's not easy. I'm not trying to make it seem easy, but learn from Esther. Ask for a fast. Ask for prayers from your friends, from your spiritual mentors, from your pastors, from your people, from your groups, from your discipleship groups, from your journey groups, from your friends. Ask for prayers and fasting. I don't want to do this really, guys. I really don't. Pray, please. Pray for me because I think I need to do this. Pray for me, please. Please. We don't have strength to be that good. But from spiritual strength, we can be depending and surrendering ourselves to the power of the Spirit. We have our reset prayer and fasting week coming up this June. Might it be the Lord's invitation for you to pray and fast, to commit to being something you never thought you could be? Is there an invitation from God to you waiting at the table? Are there cries outside the palace walls you've been trying to ignore? But now they're getting so rampant. Maybe God is asking you to act, pray, and fast. I think I have a few more minutes. Okay. I never shared why I became a pastor. Many of you grew up in this church with me. Some of you saw me grow up in this church. I was the least person who you would thought would become a pastor. I was only here because my parents were church attendees here since they were singles. I was just here. So fast forward, I built myself a career. I graduated from physical therapy in 2015. I worked, worked, worked into a clinic that I had dreamt of, sports clinics treating Athletes it was my dream job. I got to the throne room, if you were if allow me to say that. I was making good money, I was making good progress in my career as well. There was good education, there was good personal development, there was good career opportunities up front. Everything was good. Comfort zone. Risks were low, benefits were high. But there was this one patient who tore his ACL, but he happened to be a pastor. He was telling me about the person who committed to the Lord his life. Just telling me a story. The story of that person was that someone asked him. He was also a successful microbiologist. Sir, whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? He was telling the microbiologist. Biologist, to be a... but as this pastor was telling me about that full-time pastor that line whose kingdom are you building it struck like an arrow it was like a Mordecai texting to Esther it struck deep in me I had built a career I had built a future I had built a kingdom that would make me king I could live my life the way I wanted to if I just continued for 20 more years in this straight line that I have plotted for myself. But the question interrupted this. Whose kingdom are you building? Am I using God as a stream that can be maneuvered to bless my kingdom? Or am I actually being a servant to the king? Who is the actual king? It's not safe. I had to leave my job. I had to leave my wedding plans. They got delayed because, of course, I lost my job. Having no job depletes all your savings. So everything that I built for those three years of working, they started being sapped because I quit my job. Walang <laughs> kita. I was afraid the whole time. It's not easy, it's like, oh, uh, great, great, Pastor Nathan, last lost no. Every single day, I was looking at my savings they were like, Lord, what is this? You called me here and this is what's happening. You know what you're asking from me. It will cost me my life. But it's been four years since then. My savings, are not, <laughs> my savings are not very big still but I've found more meaning in my life than I ever found in that line that I thought. I was allowing the king to be king and I stopped trying to wear his crown. It's a life of suffering, it's a life of cost, it's a life that would ask you to die to yourself but it's a life worth living. So, I pray that today, church, you don't have to become pastors, all of you, (laughs) but be what God is asking you to be. Be what God is inviting you to be, according to the positions, the platforms, the resources, the places, the cries that He's allowing you to hear. Be there with Him where He is, and your life will be worth more than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We confess that we have used you to build our kingdoms. But also, we confess that it's so hard to allow you to be God, to be king. Teach us to surrender, to trust, to obey, and also to surrender even the consequences, even our fears during that surrender. Help us to overcome our belief, even in our unbelief. Help us in our imperfect decisions, in our imperfect commitments. We offer ourselves to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So there's this new portion for us today. It's an invitation for you to be in your own prayer time. We'll use around a minute or so to invite you to enter into your personal conversation with God through some questions. So I'll step back for a few minutes and ask you to speak to God directly. Let's close in prayer. Father, you have have heard the prayers of your children, of your people. Honor their desires to be of use to you, but also hear their cries of resistance, of reasoning, of logic. In our insufficiency, Lord, supply us grace. In our weakness, give us strength. May this sufficiency, may this wholeness move us into action. We commit our lives to You, to the One who has given us everything who did not withhold anything from us. May we also not withhold anything from You. Help us to serve out of our fullness. You've gifted unto us, so that others might experience your fullness as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May I invite you to all stand as I give you the benediction. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you now in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, and amen, and amen.